Hi, this is Steve Mitchell, director of King Cohen and the co-writer of Chopping Mall, and you are listening to Without Your Head. of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i am uh, very pleased to be joined by lorene here lorene landon of many classic horror movies and we're gonna have fun good to have you here yes we better <laughs> and if not it'll be a very okay. short interview right Neil, I'm totally joking. I'm, I'm a sardonic wiseacre, okay? I'm totally fine. I'm, uh, I, I joke a lot, too, very sarcastic, so I totally got gotcha. you. Good. So I recently saw the Larry Cohen documentary, King Cohen. Were you about to say something? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to say thank you very, very much for having me on your show. Oh. Thank you. That's thank very you. sweet of you, very thoughtful of you. No, it's great to have you here. And uh, so anyways, watching the... Thank the you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so I was watching the Larry Cohen documentary, and I grew up watching Larry Cohen films. And um, I noticed you were in many, many Larry Cohen movies. Maybe five. Yeah. And once he, he wrote I met him when I was Amoeba. I met him when I was an Amoeba, when I was about, <laughs> I don't know, six, seventeen, eighteen 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Did you guys hit it off right away? Um, no, not at all. A, re- a really funny thing happened. Um, my agent had sent me at the time it was Beverly Heck, eh? She was a uh, theatrical agent and she sent me to, uh, to this movie called Full Moon High and it was directed by somebody named Larry Cohen. I didn't know who he was, but anyway, I got to, I got to the set and they had just fired the lead actress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he asked me if I wanted to play the lead and I was so terrified when I saw him and all the cameras and everything. I was, you know, I was very burdened, very green. Mm-hmm. So I told him, I can't, I can't star in the movie because I have an audition that I have to go to. Mm-hmm. Is that the stupidest thing you ever heard? <laughs> That's what happened. Uh-huh. And he said, what audition do you have to go to? I'm offering you a lead in this movie. I'm fire. I just fired the lead actress. And I said, I have, I said, I have, I, I, I can't stay. I have I have an audition I have to go to. And I ran out. I ran the hell out of the school, uh, John Burroughs High School, and I went home. And then about an hour later, my agent called, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Beverly Hecht, and she spewed all these abusive expletives at me. And she said, are you a moron? And I said, yeah. And she said, why did you do that? And I said, I don't know. And she said, get back over there. They want you back tomorrow. So in the meantime, they had... Uh, overnight they had cast another girl because they were filming and the girl that they fired was married to uh, at the time was married to um, a very famous actor I can't think of his name right now 
But um, anyway, so they fired her, and then they hired this other girl, Joanne Neal, who was really, really good and beautiful. And so uh, Larry wrote in a part for me. Um, you saw the film, eh? You saw yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm the girl that sees the werewolf all the time and screams and passes out. So um, I, I did get offered the lead, but I, I I don't know how to explain it, Neil. I was just terrified uh, when I saw him. I was just terrified because he was so incredibly handsome and so incredibly funny, out of his mind funny. And I... I, I do not explain it. You know, I, I was a kid. You know, I was nine, 18, 19 years old. So, yeah. So, when you're making that movie, is that when uh, you started to become friends? Yes. Yes. We became friends for about a uh, year and a half, two years. And he was going through a divorce at the time. Um, and he wanted to date. But uh, because he was still married, I wouldn't have anything to do with him. So, about a year and a half later, I started, we started dating each other, yeah, for for quite some time, and then um, after that, we just became really good friends, you know, everybody thinks I'm his girlfriend, and I'm not his girlfriend, I'm his best friend for 25, 30 years now, yeah. his wife is my best friend, Cynthia Costas Cohen, she's a very, very famous therapist in Beverly Hills, and you know, they have a remarkable relationship, and I see Larry all the time. He's He is absolutely, incontrovertibly the greatest, kindest, and funniest human being I've ever met. And what people don't understand about Larry is that they think he only does horror movies. He doesn't do horror movies. It really upsets him when people say that he's a horror uh, director, horror writer. He likes to do suspense thrillers. His, his, uh, his idol... Uh, his mentor was um, Alfred Hitchcock. So, you know, uh, he got to meet Alfred Hitchcock a couple of times at Warner Brothers. And um, he was just, you know, in awe of him. And that's what precipitated his desire to to make movies, really, was was um, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. People don't know this. You know, I, I know it because I've known him forever. I know all his secrets, too. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know he made so many different uh, types of movies until I watched the documentary. And, you know, uh, I worked in TV and I uh, did some exploitation films. And then he still uh, writes so many scripts today. Did yes, he does. He's got uh, he's got in, in his basement, Neil, he probably has 400 scripts. And he's got some big deal going with uh, a very fam famous guy. I can't say his name. Um, it's all over the inter internet, but I'm not going to say his name. But he's he's got a series. Uh, he's he's um, doing with somebody pretty famous. That's mm -hmm. all I can say. Did you see the documentary King Cohen, the finished project? Yeah, I did. I saw it twice actually. Oh, cool. And both times I saw it was sold out. I saw it once here in L.A. Uh, at the Egyptian Theater, eh? mm -hmm. and then I saw it in uh, Texas. And um, it got a standing ovation for about 15, 10, 15 minutes. Um, and then they, uh, because I went, they they played Maniac Cop. And then Larry and I did a, a Q&A next door. Mm -hmm. So I was, I, I was, I, I thought it was a fantastic documentary. It's been picked up. It's got a distributor. And uh, we'll see what happens. What do you, what did you think of it when you saw it? Oh, I loved it. It's very, um, it's both entertaining and it's very... Sometimes documentaries can be um, depressing or something, but it's very uplifting. I kind of had a smile on my face the whole time. 
And like I said, I learned, you know, I knew a lot of the movies that I grew up watching in the 80s, but there was a lot of stuff about him I didn't know. And so I just really had a good time. Like what? I I didn't know that he did like a lot of the black exploitation movies. I actually didn't even know he did the, uh, uh, the TV stuff. Um, I forget the name of the uh, branded. I didn't know he did the TV show branded and, uh, which I, I told, uh, (laughs) I told my brother and he knew the theme song right away. Like they sang in the, uh, in the documentary. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he also did the invaders yeah, and the defenders. And I keep, I've been telling Larry for 24 years to get the invaders made into a feature film. Mm -hmm. Uh, he owns three quarters of the rights and I I believe Warner brothers owns some of the rights, but he wants to see if there's an interest, um, any interest in, in uh, making it into a feature film. And, um, I, I keep telling him everybody would just go see the movie on the name alone uh, the invaders and mm-hmm. plus it's you, but you know, Larry is not an egomaniac. He's not egotistical and you know, he is very insecure. Oh really? Um, so yes, very, very insecure. And I don't care what he says, uh, if he hears this, but it's the truth. And you know, he has a massive following, which he doesn't believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does. And he, he doesn't, he's com- uh, computer illiterate as I am pretty much. Mm-hmm. But um, I keep stressing for him to do a remake of The Invaders. How do you how do you feel about that? Do you think he yeah, would, I think, it would uh, be a success? I definitely think it would be because um, a lot of classic TV now is, you know, is like hip with people because they, you know, they grew up with it. Or, and so there's a lot of things going on there. It's a, you know, a classic TV show. Like you said, uh, Larry's involved. And uh, just the, the idea itself, I think people would be into. I think so. I think so, too. I really believe so, because like you say, um, <clears throat> they're rebooting. <clears throat> pardon me, Neil. No they're rebooting a lot of the old classic shows. Uh, but, um, you know, a lot of them aren't really being, uh, hitting it. But I, I really feel in my heart and soul, I cannot stress enough for him to do. Uh, he's got a feature film script for the invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just, you know, he needs he needs to see we need to see or he needs to see that people are interested in in seeing it. So I really want to get the word out uh, for him to, for him to uh, you know, go forward with it. Yeah. He doesn't think the millennials or young people or anybody rem- even remembers the invaders. But, you know, I posted it on Facebook. You may have seen it. And um, a lot of people want to see it. Mm-hmm. I want to see a feature film version of it. So, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with the Internet, people uh, discover things uh, that either they rediscover stuff they grew up with or discover stuff for the first time that they might have been uh, too young to watch originally. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, when you mention about Larry, because I think in the documentary, I don't know if it's the editing or uh, just the persona he's putting across, he comes up very, he comes off very confident in himself. But... You said he's uh, well. He's kind of not, he's, he 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 can be confident. Um, uh, I thought the best part of the documentary was Fred Williams and yeah. Larry. You know, back and forth, back and forth, fighting about uh, the different stunts that um, Larry had to do. Larry had to do stunts before Fred Williamson would do the stunts mm-hmm. in New York. So you know, falling out of a cab and climbing up a building and climbing up ladders. And, um, you know, so it, it was I, I thought the best part of the entire documentary 
was um, uh, what Fred and Larry were, you know, fisticuffing back and forth. I thought that was absolutely priceless. Yeah, it was really good. I had the the director on a couple weeks ago, Steve Mitchell, and we talked a lot about the movie, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I had a smile on my face the whole time. And I like that he has, uh, when they're showing his room and he had like all his ideas on post-it notes all over the wall. And I was like, he really just, uh, is like an ID machine, which I believe someone called him in the documentary. Yeah. Cynthia did his wife. Mm -hmm. Cynthia. Yeah. He has, he has post-its all over his walls, all over his office, all over the place. Um, you know, to remind him. And then he, you know, he comes up with these ideas and, and then he sits down and, he can write a script in two hours, an entire screenplay. But he talks into a, a tape recorder because, like I said before, he doesn't um, uh, use computers. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of people don't use computers. Mm -hmm. So um, he has other people to do that for him. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in Texas they also showed uh, Maniac Cop, and I just had William Lustig on the show yeah. Thursday. Uh, what oh, was how it like? was that? It was a lot of fun. We had some technical problems. Besides that, it was he was very cool to talk to. Was that a Skype? Yeah, yeah, Skype. He was on the phone, but uh, we used Skype, yeah. So uh, what was it like to make Maniac Cop, and what was William like as a director? Uh, William, William Lustig was very focused. He knew exactly what he wanted. Um, he, I, I think he's a ter absolutely terrific director, and... Um, uh, I keep hearing that they're going to make a remake of Maniac Cop. Yeah. I don't know what he said to you. Is there, I don't even know. Is there going to be a remake? Because it's been talked about for about four years now. Yeah, he said they're definitely making it. I don't think he really has any involvement in it. But he said he read the script, and it's not necessarily a remake, but like a re-envisioning of, uh, of the movie, which I'm not really sure what me, what that means. But I guess it won't really stick to the original movie. I think it's supposed to be a prequel. Hmm. He he just said it was a reimagining of the original movie, but I think they've rewritten it several times. Well, Nicholas, yeah, the first one, the first one I read was uh, abysmal, and Larry <laughs> was not happy with it either. Um, he read it, and then I read it, and he he did not like it at all. Um, but I think they are redoing it, whatever you know. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I. I think Nicholas Winding Refn is involved. Um, I think he's supposed to be directing it or producing it or something. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, for it to go forward, does uh, does Larry have to give it his, his okay? Like, does he yes, have to he like the script? Okay, that's good though. Yeah. So what was uh, William and Larry, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but because William said that uh, him and uh, Larry butted heads at some points, uh, they had a good relation sometimes yes. and sometimes they didn't. Did you ever witness that? No, I did not. Uh, the few times I've been around Larry and uh, William uh, were at different events or at screenings and so forth, and uh, they seemed to get along fine in my presence whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I, I I don't know what the dynamics are. Um, Larry doesn't understand why Bill doesn't like him, but but apparently Bill does not like him, and Larry doesn't know why. And you know he wants to continue a friendship with him, and I hope that happens. 
because I think they're both two remarkable men and, you know, their minds are just off the charts. So, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Yeah. So when you go to the screenings and you see Maniac Cop again, what's it like to watch it with an audience? Oh, okay, Maniac Cop. Well, what they showed uh, in Dal in Texas was uh, Maniac Cop 2 mm -hmm. uh, after they showed the documentary, and Maniac Cop 2 was sold out. And I I was out of my mind because I didn't I didn't care you know I was just being myself my crazy self and you know we got a, people were screaming laughing and cheering and um, you know we, we just had a we had a really great time but I I had never seen the movie before I had never seen Maniac Cop too mm -hmm. um, because I was cut out of it out of the third one which was fine with me because I was doing so many other different projects and that was fine but. Um, uh, it was great to see the turnout. I could not believe the turnout in standing room only. And and Larry and I were just ourselves. You know, we just, you know, uh, it was uh, completely improvised and there were no questions handed to us. I've I, I never handed questions anyway. Uh, neither is Larry. Um, some people are asked, you know, questions or can you, I speak about this or don't speak about that. But, um, you know, you know, we just told it like it was and, and they were kind enough to put us up in this unbelievably beautiful hotel where there was a shooting the week before. Somebody oh, wow. got murdered in the hotel the week before it was a five star hotel. Um, mm. But anyway. Well, what was that for a festival that. or anything in Texas? Sorry. Was that for a festival in Texas? Yes. Yes, it was for a festival. I forget which one because Larry goes to so many. Right, right. Um, but yeah, but it it was packed, it was absolutely packed. So that was good for him. I was really happy. I was really happy that he got to uh, um, he he got to be enveloped by all these fans that absolutely adore him. So you know, it's really good for him to to know that there are people out there that that support him. And I can't emphasize enough how many people love him and how many people follow him and how many people. But he doesn't know because he doesn't have a computer. Mm -hmm. So I have to I show mm -hmm. him on the computer, you know, on Facebook, Twitter and, and different places, you know, that I can find. And um, but, you know, he lives pretty much in an isolated uh, environment, isolated world. And, you know, he, he just reads the newspaper. That's all. He reads the newspaper. And, you know, we, we uh, binge watch uh, like The Handmaid's Tale or different shows on on uh, Netflix and so forth. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know how to use a mouse. I got a mouse <laughs> trap one day and I put it by the mouse. I think that's why he never touched the mouse again. Uh, it was a joke, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, and his mind, his mind is unreal. Mm-hmm. Before you got online, before the internet, did you know that these movies had such a following? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. How, how did they uh, contact you before the internet? Um, they would call my agents at ICM mm -hmm. or whoever my agents were. Mm -hmm. They would contact my agents and then, and then telephone me. Um, yeah. Uh, how about Bruce Campbell in Maniac Cop? What was he like to work with? Oh, he was insane, out of his mind, crazy funny, um, um, luminous talent, and he's a one-man show. And it was funny to see him doing a horror, a horror flick because, you know, Bruce Campbell is just uh, 
one of the funniest human beings on this planet. And he should have his own reality show or he should have his own show. Or he doesn't need a script. Bruce Campbell just gets up and, and talks. I went to a, a reunion of Maniac Cop some years ago, about five years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Bill Lustig was there and Billy, Bill Bob Briggs, Joe, Joe Bob, Bob Briggs, Briggs, Briggs yeah. sorry. And, and we were up on stage and we were doing the, uh, you know, a Q&A. And uh, Bruce Campbell wasn't there. Um, I think he was... I think it's my own personal uh, uh, feeling, but I think he was possibly upset that he was uh, he was killed in the second one mm-hmm. right away. So, but so, but anyway, he was next door about uh, five doors down, and he was doing a one man show, and the the auditorium was standing room only, and he was just you know talking off the top of his head, improvisation and. And I stood at the door for about five, six minutes, and he waved to me, and I waved to him. But uh, I don't believe he wanted to have anything to do with us. That's a feeling I got. Otherwise, he would have been on stage with us. But, hmm. you know, he he has his reasons, had his reasons, and so forth. And, you know, he, Bruce is a very successful guy and incredibly talented. And I just, you know, I, 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 I think he's, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, definitely. So I saw on your IMDb, IMDb, that you have uh, a lot of movies uh, currently you're working on. Yes, I am. Well, I have a lot I've been working on, and I also have a lot coming out. Uh, right now, I have uh, on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Syndicate Smasher. It's a throwback uh, to the 80s, to the action films like The Expendables and so forth. And the movie's gotten a lot of flack because of the action and that the uh, actors in it, Mel Novak stars in it and John Miguel and a few other people. But people uh, say, well, they didn't get any, uh, they didn't get killed and they didn't get wounded and so forth. But, you know, if you watch the Expendables or any of those kind of movies from the eighties, you'll notice, you know, they all come out unscathed. Mm -hmm. So I play a police detective. That's all after it's, it's basically about uh, mercenaries that are hired as contract killers and, at the same time, they're being pursued by the uh, Yakuza, the Chinese Tongs, um, the Italian mob, and uh, some, one other faction. But um, the main guy, Russell DiPolito, played by Nick Averro, is who I am after, my character uh, Driscoll is after. They wanted a man for it in the beginning. They uh, sent me a letter in the mail. The producers wanted uh, to use a man, but they they had seen had been familiar with all my work, and they asked me if I wanted to play uh, instead of um, uh, uh, Carl Driscoll to play Carol Driscoll. And then I read the script, and I thought the script was terrific, and there was a lot of improv that I could do because I love to do improv. So uh, I said absolutely. So you know, I did that, and also I have. Uh, Netflix on Netflix is Sky, which I I am in with Diane Kruger, and the Hollywood Reporter said you, the movie Lorraine's performance is so amazing. You wish the entire film were about her. So uh, my part was much bigger. My part was huge, but it was it was cut down. Uh, I'm not going to go into details, but um, you know when you're not the producer, when you're not. Uh, uh, the money people, then you can't. You have absolutely no creative control, and that was okay too. But um, 
my part was way bigger than it was. So it's it's okay. It all works out in the wash, right? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about improv. I, I saw another interview you did. You said you had a background in the Groundlings. No, no, I was never in the Groundlings. I could never afford, I could never afford to be in the Groundlings. Hmm. Uh, I don't know who said that. I never said that. I, I tried um, when I was starting out because um, I was doing a lot of comedy and, um, at theaters and so forth, and people wanted me to do uh, go to the Groundlings, but I went and went there, and I, I certainly couldn't not afford it at all. Okay. So, um, but a lot of famous people have come out of it. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. But um, so you had a background in comedy, though, something you wanted to do? Yes, yes, comedy. And what's funny to me is people think that I'm a horror actress or a scream queen, and I'm not. I, I always think of diversity and uh, longevity, so I'm always trying to uh, do something different. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, in Netflix, I play a bunny girl, Charlene, on the Vegas Strip. I, did you see it, by chance? I have not seen it. I'll check it out, though, because uh, I love Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Netflix, Sky. It's called Sky. And... Um, I did that, and you know she's she's just this lost soul on remote control. And I encounter Romy, who's played by um, uh, oh, what's her name? Can't think of her name right now. Anyway, uh, Diane Kruger, Diane Kruger, and Norman Reedus is in it as well. But anyway, we become friends, and um, um, you know I, I just did everything you see is improv, and I got a standing ovation at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, when when they screened it there, um, but anyway, it's on Netflix now, and I have Terror Tales coming out um, that Jimmy Lee Combs did, and he's this killer, killer young director. When he picked me up at the airport in Colorado, I thought that it was a young man that was going to get arrested for <laughs> being too young to drive. Right. I didn't know it was him. I didn't know what he looked like. Uh-huh. So he said, hey, Lorene, Lorene, somebody yell Lorene, Lorene. So I got in the car, as a Polak would do, get in the car. <laughs> anyway, so I got in the car, and he says, hi, I'm Jimmy. And I said, where's Jimmy who? And he says, I'm the director. And I laughed, and I said, what? You're the, you're the director? Because he looks like he's... He's a, a teenager, you know, he's yeah. a very youthful looking, but he's very, very capable, did a phenomenal job of directing this movie, Terror Tales, and they just got a, a distributor, High Octane, and that's oh, yeah, coming no. out in October, so um, uh, that's coming out, so is Nation's Fire, that stars Chris DeGrotta, the gorgeous, gorgeous Chris DeGrotta, and um, I, I play uh, her mother, in a, mm-hmm. I play her mom, and uh, Bruce Stern plays my much older husband, and I'm a, 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 a drunken, psychotic, uh, alcoholic wife. Um, and did a lot of comedy, 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 comedy. And that's directed by Thomas Churchill, who I call Sir Thomas Churchill because I just call him Sir Thomas Churchill. That's mm-hmm. why. That's all. Yeah. But um, the feedback that I'm getting from Universal and from the producers is phenomenal. And I just finished Agramon's Gate, uh, directed by Harley Wallin. Harley Wallin, and that's in Rochester, Michigan. That's where we filmed it. Mm-hmm. And um, I play the mother. I'm in a mental institution for 25 years, and I have completely lost my mind because my my son 
killed my husband in front of me to protect me. Mm -hmm. uh, he shot him in the face. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've lost my mind. So anyway, what happens in this movie is uh, what I love about Harley Wallin is he's a psychological director. You know, he's not one of these knife wielding, revenge seeking psycho thriller directors or these uh, torture porn and slasher movies, which uh uh, I don't. I personally don't like because I'm more interested in the old, old films. You know, mm -hmm. the hunt, the chase. You know, mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, the kill. You know, the graphic killing and so forth. But this is a psychological thriller. In the beginning, beginning of the movie, um, there's a séance, and my son is part of the séance. He does not want to be. He thinks it's stupid. But anyway, what is raised is Agramon through a medium. This uh, entity. Uh, Agrimon. And for people who don't know, Agrimon is the left hand of the devil. Agrimon is the demon of fear. And what really interested me in that in this particular film was um, everybody can relate. There's so much audi audience identification when it comes to fear. I know fear for me is my uh, constant companion, but this demon preys on fear. And I'm very ecclesiastical, very religious in the movie, mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm I'm strapped down in posy restraints. And Agrimon comes to see me in the form of my husband, played by Jan Birch, who's been in a lot of horror movies. And he's a great actor, terrific actor. So I've been getting a lot of great feedback from the directors, producers about that fabulous feedback. And they keep saying I'm going to be winning a, whole, a lot of awards for this. Oh, performance because wow. I really, I really lost my mind and I I, I just I just went insane mm -hmm. you know I just played myself but don't tell them that <laughs> right uh, is that fun to uh, work with like uh, young hungry directors yeah, I'm I'm sorry I don't understand what you mean by young hungry uh someone uh, who's a start who hasn't maybe made a lot of movies so they're hungry to you know passionate about making well, a uh, you know oh, their movies. Harley, Harley makes six films a year. Harley Wallin makes six films a year. Oh, he yeah. has a movie coming out called Moving Parts and um, um, Artificial Loyalty, and he's doing a movie called Abeyance coming up and a couple uh, quite a few other films. He's an absolute masterful director and. I don't know how old he is. I think he's maybe in his 40s, okay. um, but he's very, very well respected in the industry. And he reminds me so much of Robert Aldrich, who directed me in, in uh, oh, there's Steven Spielberg. Go away. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I'm joking. Uh, um, no, he, um, he he's just an incredible, uh, incredible director and very giving. And I can't emphasize enough how much he reminded, reminds me of Robert Aldrich. Um, and Harley writes his own movies. He directs them. He co-stars in some of them. Um, but he's a very, very giving, giving director. And because he's an actor, he understands what it's like to be an actor. So he doesn't just say cut. And he also lets you improvise. And even though I was tied down, um, I told him a couple of times I, because I'm tied down in poser restraints, I can't do anything. So here's what I would like to do. And he, he God bless him, he said, fine. He, he let me go. He let me go, and he, he let me go crazy. So um, this, his beautiful wife, Katie, Katie Walleen, uh stars in it. She is an incredibly talented young actress, and she's going to be a very big star, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of movies do you like? Not ones you star in, but what kind of movies do you watch? 
Um, I love all the old old movies that I watch with Larry, James mm -hmm. Cagney, Marlon Brando. Mm -hmm. um, I like uh, Handmaid's Tale, currently Handmaid's Tale, Looming Tower. I like anything really on cable because I feel that the um, that the uh, mainstream TV shows, you know, mm -hmm. I feel that they insult the intelligence of the viewer. Whereas with cable, you have to really think. You have to think and follow the story. But a lot of a lot of the shows on regular TV, for me, are mindless entertainment. Mm -hmm. So, but that's how I feel. You know, everybody's different. That's sure. just how I feel. No, I do think in the last uh, ten years, or maybe a little longer. Uh, basic cable and pay cable have some of the the best TV shows, you know. Since uh, Sopranos, like uh, I love Sopranos. Which when it was on. Uh, but currently, uh, yeah. I like the first season of Westworld. I'm not too crazy over the second season currently. Uh, Better Call Saul, I really liked. I really liked. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and Breaking I love Breaking Bad. Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. yeah. I think Breaking Bad was the Breaking best Bad. story arc from the first season to the last season of any show. There was never like a bad season, and I think it really had a great arc of the character. There's a terrific arc of the characters, uh, all the characters actually. Yeah. And I was so sad to see the show end, but I got I don't know. Uh, and then uh, Better Call Saul uh, is so damn funny. Yeah. Um, I, I love that show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you see House of Cards? Do you like House of Cards? I did Cards? not see House of Cards. I've been, it's been recommended to me many times. That's something I probably should watch at some point. It is nice it's, now that you can binge watch shows. Like before, it's something you really couldn't do. If you didn't catch it live, like you probably wouldn't have seen it. But now you can go and watch stuff on Netflix from uh, season one. Oh, uh. yeah. Yeah, House of, House of Cards is the first show, believe it or not, that was bin, binge-watched. That's what I've been told. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was Breaking Bad, but it's not. It was House of Cards. <clears throat> that's what I was, I've was. i been told by yeah. people. So, mm -hmm. But I think it's a shame what happened with uh, Kevin Spacey. Uh -huh. um, he was my favorite actor. Uh, no, my favorite actor is Tom Hardy. I, I'm sure you know who Tom Hardy is. Oh, yeah, is. of course. He looks like a young Marlon Brando, but mm -hmm. I think... I think his um he, I, I think he's a better actor than Marlon Brando. He's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to work with him someday. Yeah, he's uh, great. But um have you ever seen yeah. Peaky Blinders? He has a recurring role in Peaky Blinders, which is a really good show. Oh, yeah, like. yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely. Love Peaky Blinders. And Taboo. Did you see him in Taboo? I've not seen Taboo. I don't know why yet, but I definitely have to watch it. It looked great from the uh from the uh, trailers. You know, the funny thing about Tom Hardy is he's so damn handsome and so talented, but he's always wearing a mask. You know, if you think of uh, almost every movie he's ever been in, almost every movie, he's always wearing a mask. Um, I don't know why. Or a beard. Or he's got a beard. Mm -hmm. um, like in Taboo and like uh, um, uh, Blade, Blade. not Blade Runner. What Blade. was it called? Uh, oh. The remake of... Oh. Bane. Yeah, well, Bane, Bane and, you know, and Batman. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but yeah Batman. Uh, interesting. But he, he's always got a beard or he's always got a mask on. Mm -hmm. um, he did the remake of, um, uh, what was the remake he did? Um, I can't think of it right now. Uh, I should look. But, uh, but yeah, that's interesting to bring that up. Uh, just if I'd have to get take a guess. Maybe it's because he doesn't want to rely on his looks. He wants to uh, 
more about his talent, so to cover up his looks, he, I don't know, I'm just thinking, I guess. It's just, I never, you know, it's very, uh, that's very profound of you to say that. That's probably, could be why, <clears throat> but I don't think he thinks he's attractive. Or, yeah. or or handsome. I don't. I've never gotten that from any interview he's ever done. He does very few interviews, but he he never seems to um, have an air of nobility or anything. Um, he's very humble. He's a very, very humble man, and uh, I think he's the greatest talent that we have on in the cinema. The greatest gift of the cinema that we have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Definitely. I, I was uh, two years ago. I was sick and I was in the hospital for a while, and so uh, uh, didn't really much to do. So it was, um, I had diverticulitis, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's little. Well, it starts as diverticulosis. It's little holes in your colon, and then like seeds and um, nuts and stuff. You can have strawberries. Uh, yeah, there's certain things I can't seeds, eat. Right? Yeah, I didn't know I had it until I had a really bad pain in my side, and I went to the hospital, and they said just sent me home mm-hmm. with uh, no pain medication or anything. And uh, in two days, I was much worse, and I went into the hospital, uh, went to the emergency room, and they took me right away for emergency surgery. What happened was my colon nice. perforated, and so my body was filling up You're with all the toxins. My colon perforated. Perforated. Yeah. Yes. And oh so God. they had a emergency surgery, huh? Bleeding internally. Yeah. Well, and all the Wait, toxins okay. and stuff, all the waste was going into my body, so I was dying. And uh, oh my God! So they removed 14 inches of my colon. Uh, when I woke up, I had a colostomy oh bag, which was you know pretty terrible to live with. And, oh um, no! So I was in there for. for so- but months later, because um, they told me if I got into better shape and healed up, uh, they could do a, what's, uh, reversal surgery, which they did uh, about four months after that. And so I don't what's have that? a clock. So what then they that? reconnect me inside. So they reconnected my uh, colon and everything. So, uh, you know, I don't have to have the colostomy bag anymore. Was it the large intestine? Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah, they the removed the small intestine. Uh, well, I believe it's a large. And then they reconnect it to the colon. So, you know, I'm like reconnected inside. But I have a big hole in my stomach here where the surgery was. No. And I have 72 staples. I'm so sorry. But uh, I'm doing I'm well so good sorry. now. Yeah. I just have to stay away well, from certain God. things. Yeah, more thank serious. you. You know, mm-hmm. I've lost two friends recently mm-hmm. to pancreatic cancer. Yeah? Yeah. And they both had uh, pain in their side. So when you said you had pain in your side, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I was thinking, oh, dear God. But you had already mentioned diverticulitis. So, yeah. you know, thank God it was. You must have lost a lot of weight, eh? Yeah, I lost like over 40 pounds um, yeah. at the time. Yeah. So, uh, it was surgery. Wow. Then I was in rehab. And then I came home. And then I had the other surgery. And then there was co- a lot of complications from that surgery. And it was... Uh, Basically, like six months, it was, you know, not a good uh, period of time. Six months? Yeah, altogether, between the two surgeries and rehab. And uh, after the second surgery, I started to bleed out. Um, Oh, no. It was, yeah. It's very bad. What do you mean, bleed out? What do you mean? Well, so they didn't sew the the hole together because they wanted it to go together naturally. There's less chance of... uh, 
so infection right so i had this thing called a, a wound vac which i had to carry around with me all the time and so it's like a sponge you kind of stick in the the wound and then it was this vacuum that would suck out all the uh if there's blood or dead tissue and all that stuff and i had a visiting nurse every day coming to the house and it was completely full with bright red blood and she was like this is not right and so when she took the the sponge out it just started to spurt blood like in a movie just flying out and so she called the ambulance and uh and uh so they rushed me to the hospital and i had uh trauma sheets on that they put on like uh, if you're if you have a gunshot and i honestly thought i was uh dying because i there was i didn't think anyone could lose that much blood and be all right and when i got to the hospital they had to cut me out of my clothes because it was just soaked in blood from my socks oh all my the way up. and uh so but then they they got in time and i got stitches and then i was readmitted to the hospital and it, uh, that happened two more times because they said it was uh the wound was so close to an artery and uh eventually you know i had to have blood transfusions and uh oh, eventually geez. it was all right but it was uh, it was a long uh experience you should write a movie about your life this is a movie it sounds like <laughs> yeah someone else suggests i should write it down which uh maybe i should sometime you should you should journal it write it down it sounds i'm so sorry but how are you how are you doing now uh, i'm doing good yeah um i have scars but besides that i feel uh, probably better than I had in years, because I probably had that for a long time. I just didn't know it, and um, yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing. I got to stay away from certain foods. I can't eat popcorn, nuts, um, right. seeds, and because, and because of the seeds, right? Yeah, the seeds and so yeah. forth. Mm-hmm. What else can't? What yeah. else? Strawberries. You can't have strawberries, obviously. Yeah, anything right? with uh with with a lot of seeds in, like yeah, the strawberries have the little black seeds. Um. So what would happen? What would how, how do you get diverticulitis in the first place? They how say, do you, they how say do you get? They, yeah, they say that you don't. Uh, they don't really know. Does some people have it? Um, they think it's a big thing in America as opposed to other countries because we consume so much corn, and uh, corn. I can't eat corn either. Corn will get stuck in it, and right. since everything has right. corn in it now, you know, with corn syrup and everything, uh, they think it. That's why it's almost only Americans that that really have it. But they're not really sure. So you okay now? Yep, I'm good. It was two, it was two years ago, and like so it was a long recovery. But uh, yeah, I feel good. And I walk every day, and uh, I'm doing good. I can well, travel. I just think your scars is a badge of courage. Yeah. Your scars. You said you have a stomach. You have a scar on your tummy, eh? Yeah, I've got. Just two. think of it as a badge, badge of courage, because it's it certainly beats the alternative. Right. It was either alternative. Or, yeah. I would have just uh, died very painfully. The doctor told me afterwards, but you know, doesn't want to scare you at first, I guess. But yeah, it was uh, it was a long experience. So uh, yeah. where do we go from here? <laughs> so uh, how about all the marbles? I don't know how I don't know how you where you go from. Uh, let me talk about what's dying here. Uh, uh, did you have to do any wrestling training to do all the marbles? Oh yes, we had to go to school. Uh, first of all, they. Uh, Went to, uh, they saw, oh, 2,000 girls, eh? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't train them to act. They saw wrestlers. And they tried to get uh, 
the wrestlers to act and they could not so they went the opposite way mm-hmm. and they they went and looked for actresses they could train to wrestle now my experience lucky for me was that i was always a tomboy growing mm-hmm. up right i was always a tomboy playing baseball basketball tennis and uh pitcher and always getting uh awards um like a lot of people get awards you know for scholastics for uh sports and my father always wanted us kids to be in sports. He didn't want us dating boys at all. And my daddy was always in Canada because uh, mom was always stealing his money. So he always had to go back to Canada, get away from my mom. And they were always fighting and the cops were always at the house. So, um, yeah, so, um, you know, my, my uh, athletic prowess really played a big part in my getting this film. And a lot of uh, when the actor strike hit, um, they, like I said, they saw 2,000 girls all together. They narrowed it down to 12. Robert Aldrich uh, screen tested 12 of us. And then he, uh, from that, he narrowed it down to four. And the four of us went to wrestling school for, I would say, altogether six months. And Mildred Burke, who was a very, very yeah. famous wrestling coach Not from the name. 40s, mm-hmm. she was about five feet tall, if that. Yeah, she was our wrestling coach, and some uh, Spanish-Mexican wrestlers were um, unbelievably talented, and they taught us how to wrestle. So during the actor's strike, Vicky and I um, went went ahead and uh, continued to go to the uh, gym out in uh, on White Oak, way out in the valley in Reseda, and we kept uh, wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. That's how we were driven, you know, we, we were just driven, and, and plus, I loved it. I loved I love the exercise. I love the wrestling. I love jumping off the ropes and doing flying mares, drop kicks, and all this kind of stuff. And um, you know, some some people might be lazy, whatever. But Vicky Frederick and myself, especially Vicky, because she was a dancer on Broadway, um, so uh, we we loved we loved getting together with the wrestlers and and wrestling and. We would have done it anyway. We did it for free. We went to wrestling school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were getting 800 bucks a week when uh, when um, uh, Robert Aldrich and MGM sent us to wrestling school. We were getting $800 a week. And back then, that was a lot of money. And so when the actor strike hit, um, as you know, nobody got paid for anything. But, mm-hmm. but um, Vicky and I didn't care. We just could not wait to get to the gym. So it it really paid off. We we both were very very competitive, and and I always did my own stunts, always always in all my films in Hunter, Yellow Hair, America Three Thousand. Uh, I'm I'm still a stunt woman to this day, but um, um, I just loved loved wrestling, mm-hmm. and I don't know that that's how it happened. Yeah. Did you have any interest in wrestling at all before that, or was it something once you started no. to train, you you found that you no. enjoyed? No, no, pe- pe- most people don't know this, but uh, how I got how I got the audition in the first place was I was up in uh, Las Vegas for the Miss Black Velvet pageant, and uh, they narrowed it down to two girls, and they flew me up to Vegas, and. There was a Spanish girl and myself, and she got it, and she deserved it. And anyway, 
uh, while I was up there, I met this uh, wonderful casting director named Jackie Baskow. And she told me, she said, my God, you're so athletic, you're so tall, you're so muscular. They're casting a movie down in Los Angeles at MGM called All the Marbles. And I didn't know what that was at all. I was 19. And she said, "Um, I really think you should go meet this casting director named Reuben Cannon. I didn't know who Reuben Cannon was. I didn't know who Robert Aldridge was. (laughs) I thought he was Robert Altman when I met him, Uh when I finally met Robert. Aldrich, I said, it's just an honor and a privilege to meet you, Mr. Altman. And he said, he laughed. He said, what did you just call me? And I said, uh, I was terrified. You know, he's at this big studio, MGM. He's a big shot. I, I had heard. And I said, uh, Mr. Altman. Um, and, and, and he said, no, that's another guy. He does a lot of theater. He does movies, but he does a lot of theater, Robert Altman. And I said, well, what's your name? <laughs> I was so <laughs> stupid. He said, my name is Robert Aldridge. He said, you need to go look up some of my movies. And I said, oh, yes, sir, I will, sir. And so anyway, he, he thought I was very uh, naive and daring. And uh, he couldn't believe the stunts that I was able to do. He couldn't believe my, my uh, physical prowess. He couldn't believe it. And so... Um, you know, he sent us to wrestling school. The actor strike finally ended. And then we had to go to MGM and we had to wrestle for the studio brass, David Beagleman, um, everybody. And the wrestlers were there and the wrestlers who trained us were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, after it was all over, we were there probably five, six hours. Um, Bob Mackey was there, the famous dress designer. And... Anyway, after it was all over, they called us to Robert Aldrich's office and made us wait outside. And one of the girls had broken her wrist. Melanie had broken her wrist. So she was out. So it was three of us now, see. So um, one girl got called in first, and she never came out. She went out a back door. And then I got called in second. And I walked into the room, and there's Robert Aldrich and his son, producer Bill Aldrich, and all these studio people. And uh, I was uh, terrified. But So he was looking out the window. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He was looking out the window, and he said, you did a really, really great job. You worked really, really hard. I, I've been watching you. I've been watching how hard you work. And and all all the stunts that you do and trying to outdo yourself and, and how you went to school when you weren't supposed to go to school. And I said, you know that? And he said, I know everything. And then I said, oh, uh-oh. I thought, uh-oh. And he keeps staring out the window and just looking out the window. And he says, yeah, you did. You did a really, you did a really good job. Mm-hmm. But, and I screamed, but... <laughs> But you don't want me for your movie, do you? And I started to cry. And he turns to me and he says, no, why are you crying? He says, I said, but, because I know you wanted to play the role of Iris, but you're not going to play Iris. You're going to play the role of Molly. And I said, stupidly, of course, being blonde and Polish, I said, are you serious? You want me in your film? Why? So don't ask, Neil. Don't ask. So 
he says, oh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside and tell Vicky it looks real bad for her. And she didn't get it. I said, I can't do that, sir. He said, get out there right now and tell Vicky it looks real, real bad for her. Just tell her that. And I said, that's horrible. And he said, of course it is. And so I went out, out front and Vicky was sitting there by herself. And she's looking up at me with hope and like, what happened? What happened? And she says, well, well, well. And I said, well, it's your turn to go in right now, Vicky. And she says, and, and, and I said, I'm really, really sorry, but it, it, it doesn't look good for you. She said, what? And I said, no, it, it doesn't look good. I'm sorry. It, it looks really bad. Oh. And she said, oh, no. So she goes in through the doors, looks at me and goes in through the doors. And then I hear screaming and yelling and something about, I'm going to kill you, Lorraine. I'm going to kill you. Because, uh, of course, she went in and she got the part of Iris. So she was ecstatic. But I just did what I was told to do. Because keep in mind, I'm from Canada. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm, this is my first big movie. This is a... This is what at the time was a $12 million feature film. This is 25, 25 years ago, something like that. And, and, you know, this is a studio, MGM. And every, every day I drove on the lot, I could not believe that I was here. I kept thinking to myself, they're going to they're gonna get wise, get wise to me. They're going to get wise and fire me, so... That's what happened. That's how I got the part. I'm sorry to go off on a tangent. No, that's very interesting. Uh, that's weird that he would make you do that. I'd, uh, were Were you too okay after that? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, were you too okay after that? Like uh, to work on the movie after you told her, you know, that she did, it didn't oh, yeah. look good for her. Yeah. Yeah, we we got along fine. Um, you know, she was. Uh, very limber, uh, had been on Broadway, dancing in Broadway and um, a lot of Broadway shows. So, you know, it was it was uh, it was we came from different perspectives. My mine was from, uh, uh, you know, sports, you know, growing up and so mm-hmm. forth and being athletic. And hers came from ballet and dancing on Broadway. So, you know, it worked out. We amalgamated our you know, uh, histories together mm-hmm. and it just, it just worked out. Yeah. So, um, that might be a show you might want to watch on Netflix's glow season two starting. Yeah. And it's similar yeah, to glow your story glow. there. Oh yeah. We're based on all the marbles. Glow was based on all the marbles because how funny you say that because I was at a charity event last night and it was for Tourette syndrome and I met, uh, I was interviewed by a lot of different media outlets and one of them were two beautiful six-foot-tall women, and one of them said, I'm with Women of Wrestling. Can I please interview you? I know who you are and how everything started about GLOW. And I said, oh, how do you, how do you know that? And she said, everybody knows. Can you please do an interview? I said, absolutely, I'd be happy to. But what happened was a long, long time ago, after all the marbles, Matt Simber came up to me and he says, I got this, I got this idea. I want you to play a California doll. And I said, but I played a California doll in all the marbles, mm-hmm. Molly. And he said, yeah, 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 I know that. But I want you to play a California doll in this show I've got. It's called Glow. And I said, what's Glow? And he said, gorgeous ladies of wrestling. So I thought that was a really cool idea, but my agents at ICM 
said no. They did not want me to, uh, you know, keep doing wrestling stuff mm-hmm. because I had I the jury coming up with Armand DeSante and Airplane 2. And, you know, I, had a, I was very blessed. I, I was getting offered parts. And um, so they didn't want me, ICM didn't want me to do the Glow Show. And it became a smash, by the way. Mm-hmm. And Matt Simber told me one time at the Beverly Rodeo when we had lunch years, years later, that he said, if it wasn't for you, I would I would have never come up with this idea. He came up with the idea with a friend of his. I, I don't know the gentleman's name, but, but I, I really believe in my heart that Matt Simber came up with this idea because he told me I got a concept. I got this idea in my head. So anyway, getting back to what you were saying is I met some girls, ladies last night, Mo and um, uh, Dahlia, Dahlia, and they, they want to have me on their show again uh, at length and they want to figure out something to do with wrestling. So yeah, Glow's a huge, huge hit. And everybody's saying that the blonde Betty Gilbin on, on the show is, mm-hmm. is my character from all the marbles. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's true at all. Yeah. But I would love to do a guest appearance on the show. Um, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's really similar to the story you just told about how you uh, get involved in all the Marvels. So I could definitely And Matt Simber's supposed to be the... Uh, Matt Simber, if you've seen the show, correct? Yeah. Have you seen yeah. the show? Well, Matt Simber is supposed to be the salacious, um, uh, you know, character. kind of scummy manager yeah um it's, it's supposed to be matt simber so but i think it's a terrific show and at first i didn't i couldn't get into it i thought it was too documentary-ish or or you know there was no character development at all but as time went went on uh larry cohen insisted on watching more and more episodes and we did and it got better and better and um i think it's coming back yeah yeah, season two is starting. Uh, I think pretty soon. I know they're they're making it anyway. I'm not sure when it starts, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I've interviewed some of the original Glow wrestlers from the from the Glow wrestling. Oh, yeah, yeah. You and, uh, they're very interesting. And I watch it at the time too. Yeah, it's funny you say that um, because we had a screening at uh, the Egyptian Theater mm-hmm. of my film Hundra about a month and a half ago. And it was sold out, which I could not believe, but it was sold out. And sitting to me to my right uh, before the show started were two girls that told me they were the original Glow Girls. And they were wonderful. We took a lot of pictures together, and they told me a lot of stories that I won't go into. But <laughs> but uh, it, it was – so you, who did you interview from the I'll Glow Girls? I at uh, Hollywood, uh, Babe the Farmer's Daughter – um, there was two just recently. I forget the names, but I'm actually going to be interviewing Matilda the Hun at some point. Uh, she was one of the more famous ones, and she was on uh, um, Married with Children and uh, some other movies. And I forget her. Uh, that was her wrestling name, Matilda the Hun, but she had another name. I forget. Uh, do you like wrestling? Yeah. yeah. Neil, do you like yeah. wrestling? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up watching wrestling. See, I think what happened with all the marbles was it was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it it um, predated uh, Cindy Lauper, right? And a year or two later, Cindy Lauper came forward with her wrestler guy, and it, it became a big hit. But but um, unfortunately, the film didn't do well here. 
It was a big hit in in Europe, but it was not a hit here at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it truly was ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, because so. that was a big part of the first WrestleMania is um, Cindy Lauper's oh, yeah. uh, involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. With uh, Captain Lou and and because Captain Lou is even I, I, in the in the big uh, video for uh, girls just want to have fun. He played his. He played her uh, father in it. Uh, Captain Lou Albano. He was like the evil manager, but he he had the. He probably very uh, memorable looking guy because he had like uh, band not bandits. He had rubber bands in his cheeks, and he was. <laughs> and it was cheeks. a big guy, and yeah. What do you mean him, outside? Glued outside? I think he had him pierced through his cheek somehow. It was very, very strange. And he always wore like a uh, Hawaiian shirt, but it was open. And he's a big guy with a hairy <laughs> chest and uh, and like so a big funny. beard. And yeah, he played. Do you it's remember so the so... Do you remember the video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun? I know it's a while ago, but of course. yeah, oh, he plays fabulous. her. He plays her father in that video. He yeah, gets like angry. That's and... one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, I still love dancing to that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, actually, how can people, if they want to get in touch with you, how can they follow you online? Oh, please go to IMDb. Please, uh, please, I would really, really appreciate it if people uh, would go to IMDb and give my page a like. And um, I'm I'm mostly on LinkedIn now. Um, I'm on Facebook, too, but I have 5,000 friends. And yeah. uh, honestly, without bragging at all, there's 4,000 in line that, there just are. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I, you can reach me on, on uh, IMDb or LinkedIn or uh, my website, LoreenLandon.biz. And I have a, a whole bunch of new brand new pictures there. And some are stills from the, the films I've done. Um, some of the films are not are not out yet. <clears throat> like Nations Fire, directed by Thomas Churchill. Agrimon's Gate, directed by Robert Aldrich, Mr. Harley Wallen. And... Uh, Terror Tales, uh, directed by Jimmy Lee Combs, and but uh, yeah, please, please uh, try to uh, go to LoreenLandon.biz uh, and look at my pictures. And you know, if you want to buy a picture, that would be great. It'd be awesome, and I'll sign it. You know, sign it for you and so forth. Um, but yeah, LoreenLandon.biz is probably the best place to go to. All right, very cool. I appreciate coming on tonight. I, well, today I had a I had a lot of fun talking with you. What time is it there? Thank you. What time? Same here. What time is it there? About almost five o'clock. Oh, it's happy hour, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I you're call probably it on happy hour because I can't drink. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't uh, for uh, medical no. reasons or? No. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. Well, I'm going. Everybody. No, not everybody. <laughs> no, I'm 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 an alcoholic and I can't drink. That's it. So. What? But well, I wish I could. All my friends drink and I'm happy for them, but I I, I can't drink. I'd like to say one thing and sure. um, uh, final thing, if that's possible. Yeah, of course. Um, most people don't know this, but um, I would really like the truth to come out about puppy mills. I am a uh, very very staunch advocate of rescuing, such as this is. You can't see him, I but this is. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm going to use in my next movie, Robo Woman. This is a pit bull. It's a 
I got him online and he's non-binary and because he represents all, all pit bulls mm -hmm. and his name is Liberty. But anyway, um, I would ask, I would plead, implore more than my acting career, more than anything we've di discussed, except for your diverticulitis, of course, is to please rescue and look up the horse of puppy mills because, you know, um, uh, these these puppy mills, there's thousands of them and thousands that people are not aware of. But uh, what they do is pack uh, pack um, cages on top of each other, mm -hmm. and the the females are bred until they die or till they're so sick and they get they get diseases and um, you know uh, it's just. It's just terrible what goes on. So please rescue. Please don't breed for greed. Please rescue. There's there's uh, uh, seven million, seven and a half million dogs and cats in the shelters, and there's only five thousand shelters in the country. That's it, five thousand. So six hundred ninety thousand dogs and cats are put to death every year, every year, and three and a half million of those are cats, and three million are dogs. So please. Please, please, I wish everybody would uh, rescue. Um, it just, you know, it just per, uh, perpetuates animal abuse by buying a dog uh, from a breeder or from these puppy mills. And I just, in closing, I would just like to say, please, please rescue. And rescue responsibly. Mm -hmm. Very good. I agree with that sentiment. You know, it's been great to have you on, and uh, when your uh, other movies come out, you're always welcome back on to talk about them. Thank you, Neil. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm, Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry about all the, the mess with the Skype and all that. I'm sorry. Oh, it's worth Thank you line. so much. Thank you very much. You you're have welcome. A, thank you, sir. Have a lovely evening. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Staring at the pictures on your shelf Saying I wonder if I looked in the mirror Could I recognize myself? Cause suddenly life is not so clear I got scars on my body They tell the story with a heart stained in fear Could I ever Bring myself to forgive my past And if I ever did I can't promise it will last And as My soul to keep If I should die Before I wake Pray the Lord My soul to take My soul to take Tell myself that I'm worth more than this If I were to leave this world I'd truly be amazed Just 
Yeah. 